Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a Pilates teacher specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. The aim of this podcast is to inspire and educate through chats with women who are either working through their own movement journey or work to help women get stronger and recover both physically and mentally after having kids. I want to talk about what they do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. Because I believe when we share our stories and our values, we lift each other up, enabling every mother to fulfill her body's potential, gain confidence in her power and give our families the best version of us to share their lives with. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. One last thing from me before we dive into this week's chat. I wanted to mention that as a postnatal corrective exercise specialist, I work with women in person in my studio and remotely online, helping them to build the right foundations to be able to move safely and to effectively move on to whatever movement or exercise practice they want. My mission is to get women like you moving, keep you moving and enjoying every step. If you'd like to find out more, get in touch on Instagram or on my website, which is lovemovementsussex.com. I look forward to supporting you in taking the first step to everyday strength. Right, welcome to the podcast, everyone. And this week, I'm really pleased to be talking to Rosie Cook, who is the founder of Deacon and Blue, which is a swimwear company. Um, and the reason why I wanted to talk to Rosie today is the theme for this little mini series that um, I'm doing for the next three weeks is all on uh, the barriers that um, come up for women around clothing and what we wear and what we sort of encase our bodies in in order to do the sports that we enjoy or want to do or are challenging ourselves to do. And I really believe that clothing is one part of the barriers that women face when it comes to image. And so I wanted to talk to Rosie because she has what is well described as transformational swimwear as this is her range of the amazing Deacon and Blue swimsuits and we can talk to Rosie uh, obviously more about um, uh, about what it is that's transformational about this swimwear um, and it's going to tie into two more episodes that are going to be all about clothing in some way and uh, breaking down those barriers for women um, when it comes to joining in with sports or taking part in sports. So Rosie, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. So um, how about you introduce yourself, where you are, um, what's, uh, like, like uh, tell us about what you do and, yep. um, and then we can go from there. Fab. So I'm Rosie. I'm based in London and I've been running Deacon and Blue for about two years. We launched in 
July 2017. So yeah, we're coming up for two years. Um, I set the business up after struggling to find a swimsuit for my own weekly swim about three and a half years ago. So I've always been a sort of water baby on holidays. I'd love getting into the pool, um, would love to take part in a diving lesson or surfing or um, even just jumping in and out of the water, but hadn't been sort of to my local leisure centre pool probably since I was a child and decided to start swimming for exercise. Loved the idea of a weekly sport that would complement my existing fitness routine. I've always sort of run and gone to the gym. Um, but I, in particular with swimming, I loved the idea that I'd be getting into the water away from my phone for an hour. The sort of mindful um, mental health side of swimming appealed to me as much as a weekly workout in the water. Um, so I decided to start swimming for exercise and went to buy a swimsuit that was sort of suitable, for want of a better word, mm, yeah. for my uh, weekly weekly swim. And I very quickly realised that the swimwear market was divided into two camps. Um, swimwear, which is really beautiful, sparkly, very feminine, uh, quite flimsy, great for holidaying in, great for ordering cocktails, but um, try and tumble turn or just um, get into the steps gracefully and often knickers ride up or tops ride down or you need to sort of move wedgies about, um, let alone doing anything more vigorous than mm. like turning. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum was sort of very serious sports swimwear, which is usually black and usually pretty shapeless and designed for women who have um, a very athletic physique, which I don't. I'm slim, but I'm curvy. Um, and I felt that there was a real gap in the middle for the sort of average woman who just wants to get into the water and really enjoy being in the water without thinking about or worrying about what she's wearing. Mm. So, so you've you saw that gap in the market. Presumably, you yeah. bought something that was functional when you were yes. when you started swimming, and then you were thinking, "Come on, we can do a bit, a little bit better than this." As you were looking around, so did you then talk to other women about what they felt about swimwear? What yeah, I did. I did, and actually, so initially, I did that thing that I think a lot of us women do, which is I assumed the problem was my body, my shape, my my hang-ups, mm. and assumed actually probably it's fine for everyone else. It's probably got, you know, it's probably my issue. Um, but I bought a high street swimsuit, tacked a sports bra into it, which offered me enough shape around the bust. And I adjusted the leg height and I'm not a seamstress, but it, it looked all right. Um, and um, I suppose I sort of told this story to girlfriends over lunch and dinner over a series of about six months. And um, whoever I spoke to, um, whatever their shape, size, age, however frequently they swam, whether it was just once a year on holiday or actually more regularly, every woman that I spoke to sort of had a bit of a swimwear anecdote and talked about the sort of um, the anxiety associated with having to buy swimwear. Um, which which made me realise this isn't just about my body. Actually, I think there might be something more here. Um, so I started researching it more thoroughly. And I, I suppose then was when I came across two quite sobering statistics. The first, that 500,000 women have given up swimming in England in the last 10 years um, because of the thought of putting on a swimsuit. Um, and the second, that one in two mums have stopped taking their child to learn to swim because of body image concerns. Mm. And I think those those stats really resonated with me, actually, because although I would say I'm relatively body confident, um, I really got it that actually you feel you can feel incredibly exposed, incredibly vulnerable, incredibly naked mm. in a swimsuit. Um, and whatever your shape or size, that that can be a really alarming feeling. And actually, I sort of am stubborn 
and sort of persevered and decided to try and fix this problem for myself. But I could see why it could have so easily not been the case. And I might have just thought, oh, sod it. I'll leave the swimming. I'll just carry on with my running. Yeah. Um, and so I, it really struck me that this was a problem that was much bigger, was much bigger than my body um, and something I wanted to solve. And I suppose that was the beginning of Deacon Blue's journey. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 it's really striking, is it? One in two women t don't take their kids to swimming lessons because of how they feel in a swimsuit. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? Because if you think about it, you're basically wearing not much more than underwear. And you would never walk around in public in your mm. underwear feeling completely fine about it. And yet we're supposed to put on some swimwear and feel completely fine about how how that feels and confidence and all the Absolutely. rest of it but if you're wearing a bikini where it's sort of you know just above your nipples and you're sort of you're <laughs> thinking oh my god my boobs are really saggy because I've been breastfeeding for the yeah. last five years or if you're you're thinking oh man I've got a wedgie again and yeah. and you know I don't want to be pulling my knickers out and things like that it's um yeah, it's really exposing and, and vulnerable. And in no other way would we put ourselves in that sort of situation without, um, I don't know, either covering up a little bit more or, or needing to have something that really fitted or um, made us feel good or, or something like that. It's, um, it's a very unique situation. I, I agree. And, and actually, the thing about, you know, the mothers taking children to learn to swim is, you know, for most women, the process of having a child going through um, pregnancy and then childbirth, and um, that is a transformational experience for your body, even if even if your body does look and feel very similar after having a child to how it felt before. Um, for lots of women, that 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 obviously isn't the case. Mm. Um, and so you might be feeling more conscious of your body anyway. Mm. Um, so I agree. I mean, I think the real shame for me is heightened because I know now having swum regularly for a year and a half and having, um, or well, over a year and a half, sorry, three, three, nearly three and a half years now, um, and having met lots of different men and women since starting the business, actually the swim community is incredibly inclusive, incredibly friendly. Mm. The minute you're in the water, nobody's looking at you mm. and truly nobody is looking at you. Um, but I totally get that the walk from the changing room to the pool um, <laughs> is that 20 seconds of absolute peril. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be enough to put you off actually, actually the whole thing. So I really, really empathise with, with the agony that could be felt in that moment. Mm, yeah, exactly. And so what was your first step? So after sort of um, quizzing your friends for six months <laughs> or so and, and yeah. realising that it was not you and it was yes. the industry and, and the way it was, why, uh, what, what were your next steps then with, with the process? So I suppose I wanted to gather data on problem points for women. So um, what were the pain points? Was it just to do with if you've got a bigger bust, um, sort of sport swimwear doesn't provide the support and coverage? Or were, were there other pain points that we wanted to try and address? So I ran a survey which sort of um, took off quite dramatically overnight. So I think we launched it on a Thursday and by the Monday we'd had something like 350 responses. Oh, wow. um, so it was amazing. You know, that suddenly took it beyond my immediate friendship group. Mm. Um, and I was getting women of all ages coming back with sort of different, different gripes and different concerns. And clearly, I was very conscious that our first product range couldn't solve anything, couldn't solve, solve everything. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to be conscious of 
some of the things that we really could address and certainly things to put on the wish list for further down the line. Um, so once we gathered that set of problems that we wanted to think about, and I should say at this stage, you know, the problems range from everything from not, not just how products designed and how it fits on your body, but the way that swimwear is marketed to us. The fact that when we think of swimwear, lots of us think of the sort of Love Island pinups with yeah. the cutouts and whatever. Yeah. And of course, you know, 99% of people don't have bodies like that, and nor perhaps would we want to. Um, and so it, it was the sort of problem from everything from the feel of the fabrics to the very sexualized way that a woman is um, modeling swimwear all the way down to actually how it feels on your body. Um, and so we started to develop our first um, collection, which launched in July 17. Um, and I suppose I gathered a team of absolute experts in their field. Um, my background is not in sort of pattern cutting or fashion design. And this was a product, we were developing a product that had to be really technically capable. It couldn't just look good. It needed to survive tumble turns. And if you were swimming the channel in it, as customers of ours have done, it needs to not rub. Um, it needs to stay in place. So there was a real technical component to the design process as well as, well as the sort of aesthetic. Mm. Um, so we gathered a team and worked on developing this first product range. And we spent about six months working on that, which in some ways felt like a long time at the time, but actually is is relatively quick to get from sort of idea through to final signed off um, product. Um, and what we wanted to do was launch something which um, we would continue to iterate over a period of years, but was still significantly better than anything else on the market to allow us to test, you know, is there appetite for this kind of product? Um, and do women want this? Um, so we sort of started small and followed principles in sort of the startup world around minimum viable product so you launch something small early on to sort of test that appetite um, and I think so we launched in July 17 and, and since then it's just sort of um, well escalated really um, had great feedback that first summer um, brought out some new colours and some new styles for the for the following summer and um, had a lot of press coverage, a couple of celebrities wearing our pieces. We really managed to kind of join the conversation around body image, which is obviously a hot topic at the moment, which mm. is wonderful. Um, and so that kind of gave us the encouragement and the momentum to launch a much expanded collection this year, which we launched at the beginning of March. Mm. And um, did you... Did you feel like you were being part of the body positive uh, or body neutrality um, conversation because nobody else in swimwear is doing um, something that's that's similar? Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I mean, I think some of it is. Um, I think we have a real responsibility as a brand to showcase a range of different body shapes and sizes and to. Um, debunk the myth that what is healthy or what is sporty um, or what is feminine mm. looks a particular way and mm. I feel that response I'm a feminist and I feel that responsibility really strongly yeah. um, but also from a cl pure commercial point of view if you're a size 12 woman with a large bust um, you are much more likely to um, keep the product that you receive from us if you have seen it on a woman with a similar figure to oh, you absolutely. Um, I mean... and, and, and that just makes commercial sense right you know it's it's um it makes your customer experience much easier you know what the product's actually going to look like on your body mm. um, and that's a that's a pain point i've experienced as a woman that is slim but curvy you know i often look at products on models in magazines or in and um, catalogs and think yeah of course she looks fantastic in that she looks yeah. great 
bag. Um, But will that work on my body? And so I think what we wanted to do was partly help women see how it would look on their body shape and to see actually it will look fantastic on me, even though I'm not a size eight or I'm not, I don't have this athletic physique that we esteem to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think you you mentioned, or maybe you mentioned before we started um, talking about surfing and um, I, I surf a little bit and uh, you know, I think surfing is a huge area where women and I, uh, you know, I've heard Sophie Hellier speak about this as yeah. well. Um, women are sexualized. Like there is no other image that we see except for women surfing in a bikini with a butt shot as they're, yeah. you know, um, they're, they're sort of doing a turn and all girls with sort of their hair out, long, blonde, straggly hair, yeah. straggly yeah. hair and like looking totally amazing in a bikini. And I'm thinking, well, they're not the only people that surf. Well, no, they're not the only girls that surf who yeah. look that hot. And, but, um, uh, they, they, there's so little representation of any other size, any other shape or form or or, or sexuali- sexuality, really. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult to sort of see images of what you look like, particularly us in the UK when we sort of surf in a wetsuit mainly. Yes. So. <laughs> you think... But also, I think I think the idea that um, for women it's about being the idea that surf enjoying surfing is about being an object of desire Mm. rather than loving a moment of surfing Mm. and I think when we describe our swimwear as transformational what we're trying to do is shift the conversation from how you look although of course that is important in its own way to how you feel and if you feel incredible and you feel amazing in a piece of kit and it makes you want to surf or swim or scuba dive or whatever that is so much more important than how you look and I think part of my problem and my objection with the sort of use of male gaze in the way that we market to women, bizarrely, is this idea that to enjoy surfing, it's about becoming a sexualized object mm. rather than having a great time in the water. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of the shift we're trying to make as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And particularly for something like surfing and swimming, you know, um, you you have to be all in for that. Yeah. Like it's a very, yeah. you know, it's fully physical, <laughs> fully mind taken up activity. Then, you know, you can't be doing it thinking, oh my God, do my boobs look good? Mm. And, you know, yeah. am, I, am, I, am I getting the right curve in my lower back? You're thinking, am I going to make this turn? Am I going to, yeah. you know, this wave is coming up. Am I going to hit it at the right point? Or, or, you know, while you're swimming, you're sort of counting strokes or, or you're you know you're fully encompassed in the outdoor outdoors of being in the cold or something yeah it's it's very bizarre to think that oh then I should be also thinking about what I look like at the same time but this is something that we come up with a lot so I'm also in the do a bit of climbing in the climbing world and, and things and and we see this a lot in climbing as well that climbing clothing ranges are are marketed to women by using some of the climbing girls who are blonde, blue-eyed, full face of makeup, um, you know, have their hair down, tiny shorts and little crop tops and things like that. And um, yeah, as you say, it's that being marketed through the male gaze where Mm. a lot of women must be looking and thinking, well, I don't look like that. Am I going to look like that in those clothes? 
Absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, it's a tough, it can be a tough balance to strike because when you're selling, um, you know, we sell a high quality product that's made in the UK, made of recycled materials. It's much more expensive than a swimsuit you could pick up in Mm H&M. So what we're selling as well as a fantastic product is a brand proposition that we want a customer to engage with. Mm. And so there is an aspirational aspect to that we want people to aspire to wear the product because they buy into what it will do for them and I think the mistake so many brands make is they think to be aspirational we have to sexualize the model or put it on someone super skinny and and actually I think you can really sell sort of aspirational but still feeling good feeling healthy feeling great having a good time Um, so I, and I think there are ways to, to achieve both, to be both aspirational, but also completely celebrate body image and body shape at any size. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's changing the conversation from mm-hmm. what we look like to how we feel when we do that amazing thing that we're doing or learning or challenging ourselves or something like that. And, and I realised that, of course, I, I came across you through both Alexandra Hemmingsley and I... Ella Foote. Yes. Um, who is on Instagram as Ella Chloe Swims, uh, who's she's a writer for the Outdoor Swimming Society. And she's absolutely amazing. And, and both of them are very much all about, you know, how, uh, w- what a challenge it is to get into the water for a start, particularly if you're doing anything in cold water, mm. and, and, and how it feels to challenge ourselves in things that, but because both of them swim outdoors rather than necessarily in pools, they the, you know, how it feels to challenge ourselves in things that are a little bit scary, like going into deep water or going, yeah. uh, you know, swimming in a lake or a river or, um, you know, and all the things that you, you sort of the go on in your head and how that feels that you've challenged yourself and how amazing we are and things like that. And um, I know both of them wear your swimwear or have cham- championed at least your, your swimwear. And I think that those sorts of people are really important in that conversation, aren't they? They really are. And they're amazing ambassadors for us. I mean, they're because they're real women who love swimming, who, um, yeah, I mean, have really interesting points of view. Alex swims in the sea in Brighton on a regular basis and Ella will swim in absolutely anything, be it, a, you know, yeah. everything from a puddle to a lake to the sea and beyond. Um, they're both really smart, articulate women um, showcasing, yeah, what women's bodies can do. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're so, it's one of my proudest moments that those two individuals want to and enjoy wearing our pieces. That just thrills me beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's fantastic to work with women like those who are showcasing a different type of body shape um, and a different type of fitness and courage and all of those things um, and you know getting into water in eight degrees as Alex Hemmingsley does year round and, and mm. Ella too you know that's a phenomenal feat mm. um, so yeah they're fantastic women and we're delighted that they are wearers of DMB that's all that's really awesome yeah yeah exactly and and I think we need to have um conversations seeing, seeing women of all sorts of different types so you know you talk a, a lot about women being curvy and 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 when it comes to mothers quite often like as you said you know body shape may change it is it mm-hmm. is transformational um uh in you know the process of becoming a mother is transformational in that way uh, i think um what i really experienced is to go from being able to sort of have a little bit more control over what I look like by sort of, uh, I don't know, 
changing the way I ate or doing more or less or whatever and my body would kind of respond a little bit more and as we get older and if you've had kids and or as we approach menopause or all the things that sort of happen through our sort of 30s 40s and beyond um our our bodies either become less responsive or they've just changed and settled into sort of the the next phase of life and and to be buying a piece of swimwear that might also be marketed at a 20-year-old with a sort of flat stomach and perky boobs and mm-hmm. uh, things like that, it just seems seems a bit, seems a bit ridiculous, really. Yeah. And uh, I noticed that you have three really distinct styles, but of the same, wait, shapes? Cut uh, yeah. uh, what do you call patterns of the same uh, of the same style of 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 swimsuit or, or that's range. right why why did you want to do that so I suppose my my working hypothesis was that um your you could be a size 10 but have a very different bus size and what we wanted to do was cater for three different shapes of women so that if you are um, slim and athletic and smaller busted you have a level of coverage that works for you and the arm the armhole sits where it should and the neckline sits where it should but likewise if you are um, the same shape on the bottom but bigger busted there is an alternative shape that will work for you which is the same suit but an altered pattern that gives you more lift more shape on the bust Mm. more more fabric in practical terms and the neckline will still sit where it is designed to and because it is designed for your bust the armhole will sit where it should it's not being pulled forward so it won't rub Mm. Um, and I think it was about recognizing that you know, no two size, no two bodies are the same. And and if we can develop a sophisticated sizing system that celebrates that rather than trying to um, trying to limit that, then that's a really great thing. And I think one of the reasons customers sort of love our swimsuits and often we have customers who buy one and then they sort of become converts for life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's because they haven't worn something that fits them so well um, ever before because we're really thinking intelligently about what the body needs. And I think that 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 goes for sizing as well. So, for example, um, I talk a lot about grading, which is the process by which we work out how how incrementally bigger a different size um, item should be. So how much bigger a size 14 should be than a 12, for example. Um, And something we really think about is, you know, actually as you... As a body gets bigger, do do we need to widen the straps so that widen the straps? Sorry, so that we offer more support because it's all well and good making them longer, but actually, if it's lifting more weight, does that dig in a different way? Mm. Um, or do you want more coverage because actually, as your body gets bigger, you tend to put weight on in different places? And what does that mean for the shape? So we think really intelligently about. Um, body shape across three sort of curve sizes Um, and it allows us to produce products that just fit incredibly well Um, I think I think your comments about um, women kind of going through different stages of life bodies changing whether that's childbirth menopause and general changes that we'll have month to month um, something we do, which I think we are, which I think our customers love, is we share photos of our customers in our products across all our social media channels, mm. um, and that means, and we don't just sort of handpick the size eight Australian blonde women. Mm. Um, we share women whatever whatever they look like, and. Um, 
when they're clearly having a fantastic time and feeling amazing in their cosy. And I think it's so, again, coming back to sort of the responsibility as a brand, I think it's brilliant that we showcase women at different ages, at different stages of life, um, looking and feeling fantastic in their swimwear. And yeah, debunking the myth that because it's a swimsuit, actually it's only relevant to you up until the age of 30 or if you look a certain way. Mm. Um, so that's that's a great thing that we're able to do as well. And we're lucky that our customers feel so good in their cozies that they send us photos. I mean, that's the best <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. Um, but we love sharing those. And I think other customers love seeing it too. Yeah. And, and do you think it's easier as a small company to maintain your principles and to keep going like this do you think it's something that the big people like uh you know roxy speedo billabong whoever it is uh, they i don't know can't stick by their principles because they are so enormous and they have responsibilities to shareholders rather than rather than their customers um you, yeah. like, where does it where does it sort of really come from it's a great question. I mean, I think I think there's I think certainly it's it's easier in a way being a new brand and setting yourself up on the right foot from the off. And I think this applies as much to our sustainability credentials as our sort of body image values. Mm. Um, but setting the brand up in 2017, it was a no-brainer that we would work with um, production houses that pay people fairly, that people are um, working in safe environments, that we dispose of um, waste. And in a chemically safe way and so on. Um, that was kind of easy to do when you're starting from a blank canvas. And I think, unfortunately, if you have operated in a certain way for 25 years, making those changes, many of which will be very costly, um, is probably a bit harder to do. So in some senses, I understand why bigger brands take longer to make changes. Mm. Um, but actually, I don't think that excuses it. Um, and certainly on the sort of body image side, um, I I just don't think it's good enough that big brands continue to um, showcase a particular image of what it is to be a healthy, fit woman. Mm. Um, and I, more than anything, I think they're missing a trick because they're failing to remain relevant to a customer today. And I think as consumers, we're becoming increasingly aware of the images presented to us and we're becoming more critical of them um, of whether it feels like we're being sold to. Um, you know, statistically, millennials, for example, um, really dislike being sold to and the idea that something is being sort of uh, presented in a particular way to sell you a product can be quite off-putting mm. um, so I think brands are sort of missing a trick by not embracing um, this opportunity to, to talk about different body shapes and body um, images um, is it easier for us to, as a small independent brand Possibly. Um, certainly it's easier because there's one major decision maker, me. And if I want to do things a certain way, I don't need to consult really anybody else. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a risk of sorts as well, because you are sort of doing something contrary to the norm. Um, but I think we should be holding bigger brands to account more mm. um, because I think they have such a responsibility for um, what women think about themselves. Absolutely. And I, I, I often feel when I see the bigger brands, um, you know, doing a, a, a little range in recycled fabrics or a little range for plus size bodies or something like that, they're doing it as a tick box extra. Oh, yeah, we do the, um, you know, body positivity. Yeah, we have this range. Yeah. And you're thinking, yes, but you have 450 other styles that are made for a size 8 to 10, um, you know, slim, no, no boobs sort of person. Um, and one 
range that is for style, that is for a what you call a plus size person, or they do uh, a range with recycled fabrics. And I always always makes me question the sort of the effectiveness on on the actual issue mm. if somebody like um like adidas they do a range of footwear that is made from recycled bottles which mm. is great and they made a big fuss about it but all of the rest of their footwear is made in the same way as it has been before so by buying their recycled footwear range, are we not just propping up the um, the the sort of the standard manufacturing processes that they've been using for the last fifty or sixty years? Mm, absolutely, and, and and not actually getting them to effectively change their manufacturing processes just by yeah. them creating this little tick box. We can all feel better about ourselves, but still get the uh the 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 same massive brands that we always have done rather than having to seek out the the smaller independent manufacturers like yourselves yeah absolutely i think that's so true um and i I suppose a frustration as a small brand is you know it's it's expensive to do this stuff right and it's expensive to do it well and we we stock 21 sizes per style and mm. um, we we range from a uk 8 to a uk 20 and then for each of those seven sizes we have three curves and that is a highly complex sizing system which you know makes stock management uh, you know something that keeps me up at night mm. um but it's it's worth it because it absolutely means that our product does exactly what it's meant to do but it's tough because we're a small brand trying to manage um small budgets and to do this effectively actually it's much easier for the nike's or the speedos or the adidas's to to come in and and make a really important take a really important stand on these things and to do it properly because they have um you know very deep pockets um but i, I go back to my original point i think they're missing a trick by not doing it and mm. whilst i might wish they would do it better I think well uh, your loss actually because you are failing to serve a woman who will who who will then go and shop elsewhere and if she comes to shop at Deacon and Blue instead then fantastic um so I think they're missing a they're missing a trick absolutely um and as you say I think the sort of tick box approach to having you know an eco-friendly t-shirt or whatever is um it's sort of galling I mean actually something that really really galled this year while we're having a gripe is the sort of mainstream brands that um, brought out t-shirts for sort of International Women's Day mm. the idea that you would have a t-shirt that might say something like you know empower women um, but you're paying 20 pounds for it and it's almost cert- the woman that was paid to sew that t-shirt almost certainly wasn't empowered to do so because um, she can't have been paid very fairly um, so there's this sort of nodding at being um, at sort of participating in these important topics and in do and this sort of gesture of um, trying to contribute to um, these more ethical and sustainable practices. But the truth is um, it it becomes a little bit of a farce and a little bit of a PR stunt. Um, So I'm a little cynical of those practices as well. Um, If you buy a T-shirt for £20 that talks about empowering women, I really challenge you to think about how much the woman that made that T-shirt might have been made, might have been paid after you know, the factory's made its margin, the retailer's made its margin, it's been paid to be shipped from China to the UK, the fabric's been paid for, um, you know, it, after you've done all of that maths, if you think the woman is earning any money at all for, for making that t-shirt, you're probably kidding yourself. Yeah, and um, certainly not feeling empowered in any way. No, right? quite. 
Um, and so you manufacture in the UK, don't we you? We do. We uh, do. Yeah. And so, so why was um, because presumably it must be cheaper to manufacture elsewhere. Why was that important to you? Yeah, it's a great point, and um, it it would be it would be cheaper to manufacture outside of the UK. Absolutely. Um, it's I suppose there's a few parts to this. Um, the factory is about 20 minutes from where we're based in East London. So I'm there probably three or four times a week at the moment whilst we're in the thick of production. Um, and that's a real luxury. If I had to be mm. flying to Latvia or China or Portugal, that, you know, logistically, that's a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant that if something goes wrong or we want to tweak something, I can be there in, in 20 minutes. Um, it's also really important to me that I know on first name terms, the men and women that sit at the machines and sew our pieces, um, I know they're treated well, um, they have safe work environment, there are enough toilets for them all to use. Um, and that, that I suppose, is really in line with our brand ethos and values. Um, as, as we scale, I'm not um, ruling out altogether the idea that we may manufacture further afield um, in 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 safe I mean we would maintain the same values and principles so I'd want to know the factory I'd want to know the seamstresses know that they were working in a safe environment and so on and but certainly as we've gotten up and running it's been um it's been invaluable actually and it's been a real privilege and when we launched our new collection on the 8th of March this year I would it was a Friday and um I celebrated with my sort of branding team and the distribution team. And then I spent the afternoon at the factory with the women that have made the suits. We had some cookies and mm. we celebrated. That was that was really special, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, as I say, as we scale, partly it's a small team. So at the moment, they can cope with the number of units yeah. that we need from them. As we continue to grow, that, that might become more difficult and we'll have to explore other options, unfortunately. Um, but I think having those principles underpin the way you make a product um, is really important. And we would, we would certainly never lose that. And, and as the factories that you use, do they market themselves? I don't even know whether that's what factories do. But do they market themselves on the fact that they are fair wear type of um, manufacturer? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. And there are sort of awards and certifications that you can get to do with the way that you um, operate and to do with the way that you sort of manage waste. And um, clearly, because they're UK based, everybody is paid at least a living wage. And mm. there are certain um, legal and safety um, guidelines and requirements that they have to meet. Um, those guidelines aren't always in place in other countries and other locations. So, um, yes, they're having to operate within a certain way and they, they market themselves on that. Mm. Um, so the particular production house that we use in East London has some great green policies. They um, try to reuse old um, stock and old fabrics so mm. they, they don't um, have contribute any waste fabric to landfill you know and they, that's something they oh, talk about amazing. to them yeah absolutely uh, so it, it shows it's there right the, the, yeah. like the, the the industry is there like there are there are um uh it's possible for people to make those choices for brands to make those choices about um you know there is clearly a need like an entire factory got was um, change their manufacturing process or their processes in order to be fair, to be environmentally um, responsible and to be socially responsible. So th yeah. those things are, are have been changed in order to meet a need that, that's right there. So 
uh, why is it only the small brands that can make those uh, make those changes? Yeah, it's a tough question. Isn't it? mm, yes, I'm sure that's uh, yeah something that goes around the sort of the manufacturing industry quite a lot. I would imagine. Yeah. Hi, Movement fans. Sorry to interrupt your listening today. I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you are, I'd love it if you would leave a review and a rating on whatever podcast platform you are listening on right now. If you're on your mobile and on the Apple Podcasts app, click on the icon with this podcast image. Scroll right to the bottom where you see the ratings and reviews section. Tap the number of stars you want to give my suggestion would be five and then click the write a review link at the bottom it literally takes one minute and makes a huge difference in how itunes shows this podcast to others who are searching amongst all the thousands of other brilliant shows there are out there thank you so much for choosing this podcast and taking the time to review it really does mean the world to me Okay, begging over, let's get on with the chat. Okay, so how uh, how has, uh, I mean, I can see how, how excited everyone was about your new collection coming out before uh, when I was looking at your Instagram uh, feed. So, so you, you, you must have been really excited about this being your sort of, proper second bigger collection Um, absolutely yeah it's it's been a big step for the brand because it's really expanded our range and our offering um so it it's probably the biggest step that we've taken since initially launching um and that's you know nerve-wracking but also really exciting and we've had um a brilliant response actually which has been fantastic and we've had great customer feedback from customers that have shopped with us since we first launched all the way through to new people that have discovered us for the first time which is lovely and because one of our biggest challenges is sort of getting in front of enough women so I love the idea that we're growing our reach Mm -hmm. Um, and we've had some good press coverage as well which is always fantastic it's fantastic to get that platform to tell our story at scale Mm -hmm. and we had some great coverage in Forbes this week um, who sort of profiled us as a brand that were desexualizing swimwear um and that's that's a fantastic piece because hopefully people will read that it will resonate with them and it will prompt them to come and look at what we're what we're up mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. so that's great so yeah we've been we've had a great um it's been just under a month since we launched but it's been a it's been a brilliant month thank you I'm really chuffed with how it's gone um it's just interesting uh, you mentioned about the Forbes article that was the title was the brand that's de- desexualizing swimwear um and when I was talking to Anna Kessel last week, we were talking about the, the different ways that women want their, uh, you know, um, the different image that women have about sports, uh, about people participating in sports, about athletes and things like that. And about the fact that some women, uh, some women really enjoy being very feminine and, um, um, and and looking great whilst they're doing their sport it's Mm. something that they want as well and some women are just like well I just want to get on with it and do whatever it is so the is the desexualizing something much more emotive than sort of just um you can look great and 
do your sport. Was that something that was really important to you? I was just suddenly thinking about that as sort of a coming back to that that conversation. Yeah, I think um, I think for me, it's really about taking out the male gaze mm. and taking out the way in which we um, perceive that experience. Um, so I I still believe that if you want to look amazing, then you you know we shouldn't stop talking about the way that women w- want to look. Um, but it's about how you want to look for yourself rather than for some sort of perceived male look viewer. Mm. Um, and so I mean, we absolutely as you know, design kit that is totally up to the job, whether that's surfing, swimming or whatever, mm. but you will feel amazing in it and, and look incredible in it too because when we feel great, we smile, we stand with our shoulders back, we relax, we, you know, our bodies radiate a sort of happy glow. Um, so I I think the sort of desexualization is about um, really focusing on the female experience, the woman's experience of the product and then the sport as a result of that that is all about her separate completely separated from um any sort of yeah male gaze effectively mm-hmm. yeah the question Did yeah you know? yeah yeah it absolutely does i was just suddenly remembering that title and thinking that that's you know in a way could be quite emotive where some women are like well actually i quite like the sort of I mean, not exactly sexual. That's not that's what not if what you I want mean, to feel but... sexy. Yeah. Absolutely. And and we have pieces that I think are really sexy. Mm. Um, I love our crossback swimsuit, which yeah. is um, is slightly lower cut on the bust, and I feel really sexy in mine. Um, but that's my choice. That's my power. Um, and that's completely separate to um, sort of p- portraying a sexualized image for a male viewer. Mm. Um, so I think what we're not saying is, you know, women can't or shouldn't feel sexy if they want to. Um, but it's about not being a sexual object. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you feel is the sort of future for, for you guys? And also what do you want to see as the future in the sort of swimwear area, uh, swimwear sort of industry um, yeah. for, for women and for, for girls coming up and, and looking at, uh, you know, the images of, of women in swimwear and things like that? So we'd love to see an increase in sort of participation um, in the sports um, or in any sort of water-based sports. Um, and and that's that's at both a sort of micro and macro level. So it'd be great to be reading um, that more and more women are taking up swimming every year. But also we just love anecdotally meeting women at events that say, you know, I haven't felt good in a swimsuit for 10 years and now I do. So I swim four times a week. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, at both ends of the spectrum, that's amazing for us. Yeah. Um, in terms of our growth and where we go next, um, we still have more things we want to crack within the swimwear market. We're looking at um, maternity ranges um, and other specialisms, so um, extra long bodies, um, a, a variety of things around that. We actually already sew pockets into swimwear for <gasps> women. Pockets? And, yeah. Oh. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, I was, oh, I'll stop you there because that sounds very exciting. But um, this is more for prosthesis. So this is for oh, women that have amazing, had, yes. Yeah, so for women that have had single or double mastectomies. Yeah, yeah, okay. But actually, pockets for your goggles and swim hat as well. Let me pop that on my wish list because that sounds amazing. <laughs> you can make any woman happy with adding yeah, pockets, pockets to an item oh, of clothing. So right. <laughs> you're so right. Um, but I think there's lots of specialisms that we can... Absolutely. No, I think the... 
the uh, mastectomy, um, you know, that's, that's again something that's so exposing and yeah. can cause women to feel vulnerable because when they're in closing, it can very easily be not something that needs to be noticed or discussed yeah. at every point when they see somebody. But in swimwear, they can't hide. But also yeah. swimming is a brilliant activity for... Uh, being mindful and exercising and moving their body and getting their arms to move, which is really important after breast um, surgery. So, um, so it's great for them. But instantly, they're out there going, "Yes, I've had one of my boobs taken off, and now I need to own that." And while you're staring at me as I walk from the changing room to the swimming pool, so so yes, that's a wonderful thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're so we're doing a few a few bits like that, and then we've got a few more things like that on our radar. And I suppose longer term, um, if our mission as a business is to help women feel incredible in their own skin and to remove barriers that stop women doing certain things. Um, longer term, we might we might decide that swimming, we're not just a swimwear brand. Actually, there's lots of other stuff we do. And, you know, my wish list is sort of as long as my arm. Yeah. Um, and clearly we're, you know, we need to take one step at a time. And um, it's always been incredibly important to me that we do one thing really well yeah. uh, and do things slowly. So we're not going to suddenly, um, you know, launch a million different lines tomorrow. Um, but I think over the next three, five years, I definitely see that we're earning the trust of our customers to say to them, you know what, we've given you a fantastic bikini that you feel amazing in. Now let's talk to you about a sports bra yeah. or let's talk to you about your lingerie um, or actually your sports kit in general. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's something we're sort of exploring on a mo much more long-term basis. Um, but certainly for the immediate future, we're just all about cracking swimwear and helping increase sort of access and participation in, in water-based sports. And that's, you know, we often talk about swimming and it sounds like we're sort of trying to get everyone to get in the pool and do 10K. Actually, if that's just you doing a weekly head-up breaststroke with your best mates, mm. when you go to a spa on a, on a Hindu feeling great in the costume you're wearing, mm. that's good enough for us as well. Um, we're not sort of trying to convert the world to swimming, although wonderful if that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, going back to the women taking their kids to swimming lessons, you know, often the only time they, uh, women in the first, let's say, five years of a baby's life, uh, or um, postnatally, get in the pool is to take their kids to a swimming lesson. And then you have to get in bounce your poor baby around half drown it and do all of those sorts of things that you're supposed to do blowing the bubbles and blah 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 and you're thinking oh my god the only thing I've got to wear is like this this swimsuit that I wore two years ago on that holiday to Greece and I don't think it's even uh, you know um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's on it, yeah. yeah exactly um <laughs> And so you talked about maternity wear there. Um, I, I remember the only thing that I could ever get into by the time I got to about six months um, pregnant with my second, because I was enormous, was uh, a bikini. But then yeah. you like kind of like Mr. Greedy in a massive, massive bump and a sort of tiny bikini that's yeah. being swallowed up by your sort of growing <laughs> boobs. And you can't work out whether or not you actually pulled your bikini bottoms up enough because you can't see down there. <laughs> <laughs> underneath your bum and things so um you know either that or you buy a, a, a maternity swimsuit from one of the maternity ranges which are all fine and everything but you only have them for then a for, for a few months yeah. so it, it's sort of 
whacking out that sort of in between stages. It's a really tricky stage. Um, it definitely is. It definitely and, is. And feeding your baby, obviously, quite often babies after their, uh, you know, their swimming lesson are so hungry, as we all are after we swim. Mm. Um, and so you need to feed them on the sides and you're basically just getting your boobs out on the side yeah. of the swimming pool in front of absolutely everybody else and you're thinking great I have no shame any longer <laughs> um so those 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 are areas that it, you know you mentioned about the maternity is that the sort of thing that you might be looking into absolutely and I think I think your point there about you know a, a suit that you only need for a few months is really at the center of this for us we want to develop something that um is sort of um, versatile enough that you might wear it for the duration of your pregnancy from the point that your jeans start feeling a bit tight around sort of you know 14 weeks or whenever that might be mm. all the way through and it's something that can evolve with your body as your breasts grow and as your bump grows but also it works for you for the first six months at least if not a year afterwards yeah. you're getting um back to a to a different figure if that's what you're doing and also as you say yeah breastfeeding and having the versatility for that um but also but throughout that whole journey not necessarily compromising on style or fit or function or you know mm. in our brief and um, research so far maternity suits seem a little mumsy a little frumpy there's a lot of ruching everywhere mm. um, and that's that that might be very much your taste but that might not be to your taste and we want to create something that offers an alternative but is designed to last as well so that you are going to be using it you know for the duration of your pregnancy and beyond um because clearly um you know a good swimsuit is an investment piece and we we don't want to make something that only works for sort of a two-month window um so that's all on our radar as well um and it's a really exciting project it means that we're um beginning to meet with and talk to new and expecting mums which is a lovely project and to talk to them about what they need what they're looking for yeah. um, so that's that's a really nice next step for our brand and i think the other thing that um you know uh, uh, what i'm really keen on is helping women to ch- be able to choose to move the way that they want to and to be interested, be inspired to move and be interested and to keep on moving. And one of the things that I found about maternity swimwear and, you know, that thing of either it being the sort of slightly frumpy or the or wearing a bikini when you get too big um, is if you're a type, the type of person who swims once, twice, three times a week or something and your choice is between something that doesn't really hold you in enough or is a bikini and, you know, you feel very exposed and vulnerable <laughs> in it um that that you're not going to want to go and do no, those sorts I mean, of like no. 20 or 40 lengths or something like that you're thinking well I just can't because nothing's going to stay on and you know I'm going to end up with everything kind of flapping around and then I feel ridiculous and 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 actually if you are the type of person who who really loves to go and have a swim no matter whether that's a big strong swim or sort of you know poodle up and down the lanes for a little bit you also need it to be functional it needs to really hold you hold you in and not be the kind of because what I seem to find with the found with the sort of mumsy type ones is that they're great for just sitting around yeah like kicking your feet in a pool while you're watching your kids you know with armbands on you know flapping around or or you're doing the little baby swimming session but not if you actually want to do something absolutely absolutely and um, I think then I, that's a big barrier because if you I, don't I, have yeah. something 
that you feel confident wearing, then you're just going to think, well, that's it. I, I can't swim until I I'm back to how yeah. I was before or something. I agree. So I think I think that's definitely part of the problem to solve. Um, absolutely. I really agree. Yeah. Um, and and obviously you, you touched on sort of various other things that are uh, in your radar, things with longer coverage, which I uh, presumably, do you mean sort of in a cultural sense? So for Muslim women, they, they would need something with much greater coverage or, or you just mean people who want to wear something with a longer leg? I think both, actually. So we're looking at um, sort of how our range evolves to suit a more modest market um, and whether that includes a sort of swim legging, um, long sleeve swim tops, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but also um, lots of women, you know, opt for those options um you know, not because of religious reasons, but actually because they like having more coverage or it's warmer. You know, if you're dipping in six degree water, every every yeah. millimetre of fabric makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I wear swim leggings. Uh, yeah. I don't wear a suit, but I wear a wetsuit. I wear swim leggings and like a rash vest with a bikini underneath yeah. to go in the sea at the moment. Just it seems to psychologically make me feel warmer. Oh, I, I don't think it really I think is. It, but... Well, I think, I think it will. I think even, you know, even if only by a degree, that yeah. can... That can make a big difference at those temperatures. Um, so we're definitely exploring those options as well. Um, yeah, I mean the the list of things we want to bring out is 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 long, um, <laughs> but all of exciting. these things are on it. Absolutely, yeah, it is exciting. It's really exciting. What about uh, the sort of effects of when we're when we're thinking about looking at this sort of teenage young adults area? I mean, obviously your range appeals to women of all ages. If that's what they're looking for, that's what they like. Um, you know, if they if they get with your principles and all of that sort of stuff. But um, I, you know, I always feel like we have a great responsibility when it comes to image, when we're looking at the images that we portray as women onto young adults and young girls. Um, do, uh, do you market to young women or do you find that your core market is mainly women in the sort of late 20s, 30s onwards? Yeah, it's so we don't market to young women at the moment. And I think our product range and our price point prohibits us really from doing yes. that. We yeah. we do have a customer that is sort of 28 and upwards yeah. um, on, on average. Um, I'm really interested in the teenage market, though, and the idea that we might be able to create something that's more of an entry level piece that um, introduces women at that age, you know, and clearly your teenage years can be some of your most body conscious mm. and introduces them at that age to our brand and, and then potentially becomes, you know, they might become loyal customers for life. Um, so it's something I'm really interested in. Um, it requires a lot of thought because um, it, it wouldn't make sense to us to sell by age because actually women's bodies vary so dramatically mm. from, a, I mean, actually in general, but certainly from about 13 onwards. So um, we're having a think about that as well and about what might be the right product. Um, and clearly your priorities when you're um, a teenager might vary as well. Mm. So it's about us creating something that um, upholds all of our principles and is in line with the kind of messaging that we want to create, but is also fashionable enough and trend-led enough to be appealing to a 15-year-old. Yeah. Um, what we don't want to do is become a brand that sort of drops when we're in a different print every three months because 
you know, because that's what a teenager sort of needs or likes. We'd yeah. like to, we'd prefer to educate a teenage market on um, sort of buying once, buying well, more long-term purchasing. Um, but there's a sort of bigger piece around that. So yes, again, it's very much on our radar and something I'm really keen to explore. Yeah. Um, but, but worth doing it properly. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely see that for you to still be guided by your principles, it would take a lot of thought in that sort of market. Yeah. You are, in general, marketed in a very different way, marketed yeah. to in a very different way. Not, not necessarily that that's what they want, though. It's I think the sort of millennial and later generation, uh, like you mentioned before, they don't like to be marketed at. Um, yeah you know they actually they're more environmentally conscious yeah than, yeah, yeah. They, they they see the responsibility of brands which i think is such a huge wake-up call for the huge mm. brands who would just rely on people just buying uh clothes every couple of months constantly and throwing it away and getting that massive turnover which uh which i think really yeah was it was a a, uh, you know bad a bad time in industry and hopefully Definitely. we're sort of over it with the the power that the younger generation have now um okay well Rosie thank you um last couple of questions yeah. um back to talking to you specifically who or what inspires you to work the way you do maybe yeah it might also be books and and things mm -hmm. you know inspirational quotes that you have what uh, what sort of helps guide you and drive you every day yeah it's a great question and certainly being a solo founder running your own business you know there's there are there are days where you you wonder am I doing the right thing and um, you can definitely have self-doubt I think especially as a woman that came from the city working in the fashion and manufacturing industry and the swimwear industry, you know, I have definitely felt the sort of imposter syndrome of, am I, you know, equipped and capable and skilled enough to be doing this. So um, having constant sources of inspiration and motivation are, is really important to me. Um, it's perhaps cliched, but I would say our, our customers is a really big driving force for me. I have a file of um, customer emails and messages that I've received mm. and photos of women and telling us how our product has made them feel, why it's changed their lives or their experience of water. And that, um, you know, if I'm having a moment of self-doubt, that is incredibly inspiring for me. And it reminds me why I set the business up in the first place and what it's all for. And so I'd say that's a huge source of inspiration. Um, I think I also look to other brands and other women doing really awesome, inspiring stuff um, and take take inspiration from them. So um, whether it's women really um, you, women debunking myths around what, what it is to look fit and healthy um, different different women that I've interacted with. You know, I've, I've interacted with Ella Foot, for example, mm. um, since starting the brand and I find her incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Um, I also look to, in a completely different capacity, um, Sarah Blakely, who is the founder of Spanx, um, which is a brand which does things very differently to how I might run D&B. But I really admire um, Sarah's kind of philosophy. She's still incredibly involved in the business. And um, when she first created the business, people didn't really understand what she was trying to create. And she really had to show people the product to, to kind of to express what the product was trying to do. And um, I suppose I've always found her really um, exciting and inspiring. Mm. Um, I read lots. Um, I'm constantly reading a mix of 
I mean, I love fiction, but I'm reading lots of business books. I'm currently reading Shoe Dog, which is about the founder of Nike um, and um, the sort of journey that he went on. Um, mm, and, so, and I suppose I surround myself with or try to surround myself with female entrepreneurs on similar journeys, whether that's in similar industries or completely different industries, um, to sort of share pain points, share advice, cheerlead each other on. Um, and that becomes invaluable, you know, in, in the absence of a co-founder or a, or a team. Mm. We have a team of freelancers that do various bits and pieces, but um, the sort of full-time team is still primarily me. So, um, yeah, having that network has been really important for me. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, brilliant. Uh, those are such great um, recommendations of people to sort of search out for yes. uh, continuing, Good. you know, interesting conversations. Um, and what do you hope to inspire in others? Oh, gosh, what a question. Um I suppose I would really, I'd love to inspire people to go for a swim. I'd love to inspire people to take leaps of faith and get into water. That's my ultimate mission. I'd love to inspire people to feel good in their own skin and to celebrate um, their bodies, whatever shape or size they are, and to sort of fall in love with their bodies again for what they can do rather than what they look like, which, and I think swimming is such an amazing tribute to that. Mm. and then sort of as an entrepreneur, I suppose um, I'd love to inspire people to take leaps of faith. You know, when you have a brilliant idea and conviction behind it and you're hardworking to know that to, that, that that can work. Um, and so I'd love to inspire that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what I would like to do. Mm. But I'll probably I'll probably have many more articulate ideas at sort of 3 a.m. this morning. (laughs) Are you an overnight thinker? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think a lot during my swims and, yeah, uh, while sleep is trying to sleep, yes. Trying to sleep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Rosie, for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Do remember to check out the show notes and rate and review the episode. Hop on over to Instagram as well at love underscore movement underscore Sussex to let me know what you think and any comments or feedback you have. I always love to hear from you. Join us next time to hear from a new brilliant guest. <laughs>